This is the Tribe of Millionaires podcast from GoBundance. The tribe of healthy, wealthy, generous people who choose to live epic lives. Listen Tuesdays for featured guests and Fridays for GoBundance member spotlights. But listen always to hear how our guests have grabbed life big. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gruber. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Today's guest, he's a South Florida guy. And you will if you can watch him on YouTube, he's got that vibe to him right now. His name is Carlos Rivera. He's a GoBundance member, father, husband, real estate investor, real estate agent. And he is uh, he's a young gun, man. This guy's pushing hard. And I have a chance. I've had the chance to meet him at multiple events now. And um, uh, what you'll also notice is a major distinction in hair. Although he has a hat on, there's a lot under there. There it is. As well as the facial hair. He's he's the hair to my not hair. There we All go. seriousness, though. Yang Carlos, welcome, man. Good to have you. What's up, Jamie? How are you? Good to be here. Humbled. Oh, I'm unworthy good. of being here in front of the uh, the most famous man in GoBundance. That's true. I, I do agree Gruber. with that. Generally yeah. speaking, I agree with that. I say that to most guests, whether it's Brandon Turner, you, you it doesn't go. matter. It's like, I hope you understand how privileged you are to be here exactly. with me right now I'm, I'm humbled i feel unworthy <laughs> and and we tried this three times this is our third shot it's at true it. third time's a charm yeah we got it we got it all right let's start with your backstory so i mentioned uh south florida i mentioned hair but there's a lot in between that what uh what's your your upbringing give us kind of the story of you yeah okay so i was born in miami florida um i got my mom's hair so it's very robust very thick um i, I don't think i'll ever go bald thankfully I uh, grew up here my entire life, uh, born into a Cuban, Cuban family, Cuban immigrant family, uh, you know, traditional Miami, Miami Cuban exile family. So we've, I've been living here my entire life. Uh, went to the University of Miami and studied software engineering because I was told I needed to study something worthwhile. Um, got a job right out of college at an old tech company called Yahoo. Some of you may have heard it. Sure. Um, so worked at Yahoo for nine years. Very quickly, um, you know, about probably six months into uh, this is 2008. So this is you know right right when the economy crashes and the world comes to an end. Um, I go into the workforce conveniently. So I you know graduated from college. Then Monday right after right after graduation, uh, May 2008, I jump into uh, I jump into work at Yahoo in, in the tech world into what I thought was going to be uh, you know very steady, very fruitful uh, career which is what you know, you're told growing up, right? Study something, get a job, work at that job, save and retire, right? That's your, and that's then the die. track. And then die. And then die, yeah. <laughs> If you haven't already died before that. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, that, I, I did that, you know, six months in, this is 2008, the world ends, uh, the layoffs come, uh, about probably like, yeah, it was probably six, maybe seven, eight months into me working at, at Yahoo. Basically the whole office gets, gets laid off, uh, except me. I was I was one of the very very few in the Miami office uh, that didn't get fired that day, probably just because I was, you know, the the low level entry level employee at, at the time, and I added a lot of value. I mean, I'm, I've always been a very hard hard worker, uh, but that was a that was a real real kind of eye opening experience because you know here I am this 22 23 year old you know young college grad who thinks he's got you know he has it made working at an iconic. Uh, internet company, and I'm seeing like all of my coworkers around me just pack up and leave. All you know, all in one day, people who have been working at this company for years and years and years just get fired. You know, mm. in, in, a, in a split second. 
so that was that was tough um it, it really led to a lot of a lot of you know reflection and and soul searching i would say it's a very existential moment and you know at, at that point i started reading a lot and i discovered the rich dad poor dad series you know which obviously everybody who reads that book ends up falling into kind of like this uh this rabbit hole of of reading more about entrepreneurship and investing and you know my my eyes were open my eyes were open to this world where you didn't have to rely on one source of income or one job or one company to to build wealth and i realized that the really the only way to build actual wealth is to is to work for myself i mean there's no way there was no way that working at a company and just getting a 3 4 5% raise every year for the rest of my life um if i don't get fired before that was going to really move the needle and um just you know about a year or so of just reading i read every book i could i could you know get my hands on i discovered real estate discovered you know this concept of of passive income which i had never been taught before um all my my idea of income was active income right I, you work and somebody gives you money um none, n- nothing related to investing nothing related to you know pa- anything passive so i became kind of obsessed with this concept of like acquiring as much passive income as many rental properties essentially as i could um to to basically replace my income right and make it so that i didn't have to depend on any one uh, company or any one person to to you know finance my life essentially so over the course of about 9 years i saved up i mean i was making good money my wife and i were making good money when we first got married it was 2009 we bought a duplex so we house hacked it we lived in in one side we rented out the other and basically lived for free and that allowed us to really save a lot right so we had you know very good paying jobs in the tech world and you know we we had this duplex we our number one expense everybody's number one expense is housing mm-hmm. we didn't have that right because we had a person that was essentially paying for our our uh, our mortgage and you know we were able to save save very heavily and we're very frugal people we've always been we don't waste money uh, so we were able to kind of save as much as we could and just continue buying duplexes so we bought it was like four or five duplexes uh, by the time it was i think 2014 around there 2015 and the uh, the market then sort of turned on us and it, everything became very expensive right so we were we you know we started buying in 2009 when things were really cheap yeah. and up from 2009 to like 12 13 uh, you know, property was still very, very affordable. And Miami just, you know, like every, every major city just kind of exploded How? Yeah. after 2015, 2016. Yeah. So it became impossible for us to really find deals that would cash flow because we're, we're cash flow investors. We buy for cash flow. We don't buy for appreciation. Uh, we started investing in 2008, 2009 when the people who were buying for appreciation got burned. Yeah. So the focus for us is always on cash flow and just buying stuff that we can hold for the long term and that we can carry and that we can build wealth, you know, over over the long term. We're not in it to get get rich quick. So yeah, market turned. Things got really expensive. Uh, all of a sudden, we realized we had all this equity in these duplexes that we had been buying uh, that wasn't really making us much money, right? So like, there's two. There's kind of two ways of calculating your return on a property. There's your cash on cash return, which is, you know, I put in this much cash. Here's how much I'm getting back, uh, a percentage of that. That's my return. But when you look at 
the value of your property, right? If your property has exceeded a certain amount of value, there's a there's an equity component there that you're not really cashing out on uh, from the cash flows, right? Because if the rents aren't going up as much as property values are going up, and you're not raise, you're not able to raise rents at the same rate as the property values, you're not really unlocking a lot of that a lot of that uh, equity or, or return on that equity. So we started really thinking about it, and we made the decision to just start selling off the duplexes. And we were based, and then we started flipping them into like flipping that cash into houses in the Midwest. So I started started buying in Kansas City, Missouri, through a series of referrals. I ended up, uh, you know, buying buying a couple of houses in Kansas City, and and we were buying like every time we would sell a duplex, we could buy five houses in Kansas City. Like stuff was so cheap over there still, um, or at least relative to our market, yeah. things were 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 very inexpensive, and the cash flow was very good. Uh, so we we kind of like kind of snowballed, right? This this uh, this initial portfolio we had of duplexes, and just started buying uh, single family homes. And before we know it, before we knew it, I mean, we owned like 16, 17 houses, and um, you know, by then we had already replaced our income from our job, so we were able to to. Uh, I was able to like, first. I left my W two job it was in twenty sixteen, wow, which was at Yahoo. So I worked at Yahoo for nine, eight, nine years. Yeah, so many layoffs occurred in that nine-year period, and yeah. I like it was like bullets dodging bullets, <laughs> and I never, I never got fired. Thankfully. Wow. Did you? Were you? Um. Were you? Uh. What was your income? Do you recall when you left around area and just ballpark? Was <sighs> Dude, it? Dude, I think I was making probably like not that much. Well, it depends. I guess that's relative. It's probably like seventy grand. Yeah, okay. I mean, twenty sixteen. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um. I, I started when I started working there in 09, I was making like or in 08, I was making nothing like 40 grand. Yeah. So I, I jumped quite a bit in that nine year period, Yeah. but it's nothing compared to the amount of, you know, wealth and money you can make investing in real estate. I mean, all, all the equity that we made on those, in those duplexes far exceeded the money I was making. It. Yeah. I'm, assu- I'm assuming Casey, was that turnkey property? Did you buy turnkey? Yeah, they were turnkey properties. Yeah. So the turnkey was actually pretty good. It was a good investment, at least for us, because you're basically paying retail for those properties, so you're not really getting any equity on your way in, but the cash flow is so much better than what I could buy in my own market that it was worth it. Mm. And when the deal started to dry up, so in 2020, when when COVID hit and the market turned again and the supplies just dropped everywhere all over the country, then it became impossible for the turnkey, the turnkey provider that I was buying from at least to find deals. So his deal flow dried up. He didn't have anything new. And these guys also do the property management, right? So they'll they'll sell you the property and then do the property management. But if they don't have consistent deal flow and they're not selling you properties, the property management business is basically a loss leader for them. So when the when the deals dried up, the property management quality started to go down also because they mm-hmm. just weren't focused. And at that point, uh, this is 2020, it became evident that that property management, that property manager was not going to perform. So I basically assumed management of the entire portfolio that I had built up in Kansas city. Um, I had only been there once. Like it's just, you know, on the other side of the country, I've never, I've barely ever been there. I barely know the market. Um, and here I am all of a sudden assuming management of, of this portfolio. And then that's when I accidentally became a property manager. So like I, I as a defensive measure to to like yeah. salvage the cash flow from my my Kansas City portfolio, I had to develop a property management system and process 
and company essentially to to service this portfolio and realizing that I was actually pretty pretty damn good at it because I'm just I'm a good problem solver. It goes back to my tech tech days. Um, property management is just all problem solving. It's all you're doing all day long is solving problems. Uh, and I'm good at it. So I realized I was good at it, created really nice systems. And then before I knew it, other people were asking me to manage property for them. Um, so I, you know, I started picking up more, more third-party management. And this is all in Kansas city still. No, no, no. I have, I'm about half and half in Miami and Kansas city. Okay. Most of what I have in Kansas city is stuff that I either own or am a participating owner of. So I'll get into the syndications in a little bit. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I became a property manager essentially, built a property management company, uh, started managing for other people, continued to build the portfolio. Uh, and then I met uh, my partner, who is now my partner today. His name is Alfredo. Uh, a friend of mine uh, from here in Miami, he introduced me to his son-in-law who had moved to Kansas City. So Miami guy moves to Kansas City because his wife was... Uh, was studying to get her PhD over there and super, super intelligent, very educated, uh, you know, Harvard, Harvard PhD. Um, he had gotten his PhD and he had done his dissertation in like real estate development. Uh, it was just like a really sharp, sharp guy. And he was trying to kind of break into the real estate world over there and was working at the university of Missouri raising money. Mm -hmm. So he was kind of in this fundraising role. And I was introduced to him and he, and, you know, we just sort of hit it off and he, and I told him, look, man, look, you're, you're good at raising money. I mean, you have already built up kind of like this Rolodex of potential investors locally in Kansas city. I mean, I'm good at buying and managing and, and underwriting property. Let's get together and buy some bigger deals. So we got together. This was about a year and a half ago now. And we bought three office buildings since then, two, wow. two office buildings. And like one kind of retail slash office uh, in, in Kansas City, we syndicated it. We put, you know, we found the investors. We we put the deals together, um, and we've been doing that. And hopefully, we'll do some more of that uh, this coming year. And yeah, it's been it's been pretty good. And you've got third party clients. It sounds like local to you as well. So you've got your portfolio out in Kansas City that you own or partially own, and you have a management company built around that. But you also third party locally. Yeah. So the syndication business obviously feeds the property management business sure. as well. And yes, I do take on third-party uh, owners uh, here in Miami and very, very few in Kansas City just because it's hard to manage property from afar. So if I don't have like an ownership interest in it, yeah. it's kind of not worth it. But I do have some family members that I've convinced to also buy stuff over there themselves and then I, I, I manage their stuff for them. What's your portfolio size in Kansas City right now? We're like 200 units at this point total. I, Kansas City is probably more than half of that. Maybe like 110, 120 units. Oh, total really, between. Okay. When you say total, you're saying under management. Yeah. Not that under you management. Own. So 200 total. Yeah, yeah. I don't own anything in Miami anymore. I've sold everything. Yeah. So anything that I own is in Kansas City. I would say it's about 110 units. Okay. Um, and that's either stuff like duplexes and smaller stuff that I still own just be between me and yep. my wife and then stuff that we've syndicated that I, you know, participated in. Did you leverage, uh, and maybe you did at the beginning of it, I'm not sure, but did you leverage when you acquired the turnkey properties or did you buy them cash with all the equity that you had from the flips, if you will, in no. Miami? No, I financed all of them. You did? Even okay. the, like the cheapest one I think I bought was like 80 grand. Yeah. I would have to come into the table with like $17,000, right? right? So like- right. If I sold a, a duplex in Miami for 500 grand, imagine what how far that gets me, you know. 
financing um, these little tiny houses. Uh, so that was pretty cool. And that's a market, Kansas City, that's really done well as one of the Midwest markets that's grown a lot. There's a lot of interest there. I mean, a lot of a lot of guys are investing there from the coasts, right? California, Florida, yeah. New York, you name it. So it makes sense that uh, it's a good market to be in. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Yeah. I, I mean, and I love Kansas City. I mean, now I go all the time and I've just kind of grown to love the town. I, I would live there, honestly, if it weren't for the cold. I mean, I've grown yeah. up in, in South Florida my entire life. I, I own one sweater. And, you know, the day that it's cold, the one day a year here that it's cold, I just stay home. Uh, uh, yeah. So I, I can't deal with cold. I'm looking for by the time this releases, I should be sitting in a warm spot in the Dominican Republic. So I'm 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 looking for I've never lived in a warm weather climate. Right. I grew up in New York, lived in Boston, live in Michigan. So it's always been cold weather climates, which I like to a point. The holidays are cool. It's yeah, kind of cozy. But man. The moment the holidays are over, I could be gone for four or five months until it gets nice here again. So looking forward to that. You talked about, uh, this was interesting. I don't know if you even heard yourself say it, but you said that you uh, started a prop, well, you took over management of the portfolio in Kansas City as a defensive measure and then created a company out of it. Was that your entrepreneurial moment? I feel like we all have one if we are entrepreneurs in any way. Mine came much later in my 40s, right? But was that your entrepreneurial moment? Where Because that's not necessarily the instinct of everybody to, well, why don't I build a business around this? It's just like, well, I just got to do it and take care of it. To your point about that mindset of active work, well, I got to take care of my 14 or 16 or 17 properties. Um, but you don't think, well, hey, let me build a business and systems around it unless you've got some entrepreneurial chops, if you will. Was that the first time you realized you might be, or was it when you started buying property or were there some things from your childhood? I mean, your parents are, you know, we'll get to their immigrant story in a moment. Where was that entrepreneurial moment or were you born that way? Did you have the lawn mowing company with 18 kids your age working for you because you just thought that way? I'm, I'm kind of curious what led you to that moment. I've always just been a very good problem solver. I think I've had, probably just had multiple entrepreneurial moments throughout hmm. my life, whether I was conscious of them or not. Uh, for sure, this one led to you know a trajectory that has been very fruitful. I never really had a lawn mowing business. I, I was always very good at like saving money and good at finding money, right? So like, you know, like I had a lot of DVDs as a kid, and then one day when I realized DVDs were going out of style, I sold them all and I made a couple thousand dollars. So like, I was always like real good at like finding opportunities to make money. Yeah. Um, but I was never like that quintessential guy, that kid that went around selling stuff door to door or any of that, that sort of stuff. I will, it's just, I'll, I go back to it being problem solving. Like, okay, I need the money. And I saw the DVDs. Okay. Sell them, make the money. Right. So there's a, I have a way of finding uh, solutions to things that most people or a lot of people just, you know, they sort of can't, or they just won't. Uh, and then that, that is what was triggered in the property management uh, mm. scenario, which is, look, there's all these problems. Um, let me just fix them. And then when I realized I could fix them and I could do them, and all of a sudden my portfolio was was performing again, you know, I realized okay, I'm on to something here. And you know, I do have a lot of trauma from that because it was the, the previous property manager had started to screw up so much that like now I have kind of like this control freakism when it comes to property management because I'd like to eventually sort of like take myself out of that role, but it's it's been real hard to like find people who can really replace what I do to hundred percent. And it's because I keep going back to that, like, I'm the fixer, I'm the property, I'm, I'm the problem solver, I, I can fix anything, which, you know, isn't always yeah. 
healthy the, or true the, in many ways. The DIY yeah. type of person. DIY guy, uh, yeah. Brandon talks about it, right? Yep. So, all right. I want to go back for a moment. We'll come back to this because, but I, I wrote it down and I don't want to look past it, but uh, Cuban immigrant family, your parents are, I, I don't know how you say it, defected from Cuba, uh, ran from Cuba, fled Cuba, whatever it might be. Is that fair? Is that is that their story? I'm just kind of yeah. curious their yeah, origin, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, not, not the whole thing, but like what, what precipitated their move? If you don't mind going into that a little bit. Yeah, no, for sure. Actually, ironically, my grandfather was exiled twice from his country. So he's my grandfather. My father's father was born in Barcelona. He's, he's, he's a Spaniard or was a Spaniard and they fled uh, Spain in the 1930s when the civil war hit Spain, yeah. they fled to Cuba and then they had to leave Cuba in the sixties when, when, uh, when the revolution occurred there. But yeah, I mean, so both my parents are Cuban. They're born there. Uh, they came when they were really young. I think they were both like a year or two old, sure. mostly my grandparents that, that fled the country. Uh, but yeah, I mean, communism came to to Cuba. It destroyed the economy and all the wealth and all the, the you know, the, the, the top tiered 1%, you know, high class of the, of the country just left. Right. You know, yeah. there's no ability to, to make a living or, or, or control your own destiny. What, what was the point of living there? They all what left, did, came to Miami and started over. What did your, what did your grandparents do when they came? Uh, I'm kind of curious, like you mentioned, you know, I'm, I'm building this up to the point where you said, yeah. Hey, kind of conditioned to get the job and all of that stuff. So I'm curious what your grandparents did, what, what lessons that placed on your parents and what their conditioning was and how that led to your conditioning. That's kind of the, just to give you a preview of yeah. where I'm going. But talking about the grandparents, because a lot of folks that come from a situation like that, they've got to figure a lot out on the, you know, like in the moment. They got kids, they got this, they don't speak the language potentially. And so I'm kind of curious, what did they do when they came? And then lead me through, you know, generationally the impact up to you. Yeah. Um, I mean, there was an incredible amount of wealth in Cuba in the 1950s, right? And, you know, the Cuban revolution ended all of that. And most, most of the wealth that was in Cuba that, you know, they were entrepreneurs, right? Like my, my great grandfather. Uh, so my father's father's father was, uh, was in it. He, he, that guy retired when he was like 29 years old. Like he started a, a, a rum company in Cuba, uh, sold it and then moved to Spain, retired when he was 29. That's where he had all his kids. He became a real estate investor, built wow. buildings, you know, a real estate developer. He built buildings. Um, you know, he's a guy with wealth, right? So then, yeah. and he's an entrepreneur, so he can't stop. So that, you know, he, they lived in Spain. And then when they fled Spain, he went back to Cuba because that's where he had, you know, his companies were there and opened a movie theater. So my great grandfather had a movie theater. He owned the rum company. Uh, my grandfather worked in the movie theater. Uh, my other grandfather, my mom's uh, father, he had kind of like a wood, it was like a wood company. Like they would like manufacture the desks for schools and and things like that. Uh, everything was left behind. Everything, wow. everything started over. My grandfather, my mom's father, who had the wood company, came to the United States. He didn't speak any English. Uh, worked as a bellhop at the Waldorf Astoria in New York City. He was in the wow. the guy with the in the elevator that would push the button. Yeah. And uh, my grandfather came. And my other grandfather, the one with the movie theater, came. And he was he was actually an engineer. He studied in Georgia Tech, but. He, since he didn't practice as an engineer in Cuba, he was running the movie theater. By the time he came back to the country, his skills were completely obsolete. So he was having a lot of a hard time finding a job. Finally, he met uh, somebody who he knew in Georgia Tech who was running a jewelry store or owned a jewelry store. And he offered him a job at the jewelry store. So my grandfather worked at a jewelry store until he retired. Uh, my other grandfather, who was the bellhop, 
he actually was more of an entrepreneur. He, after he, they established themselves in Cuba, he started a, a, a cider, like a sparkling cider company. Wow. And, um, and then he just did that until he, you know, he passed away. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, it's just, they, they basically just, the, the, the story was, you know, we lost everything, start over, do whatever you can to make ends meet. And I think that's where kind of the conservative, you know, get it, go to college and get a job mindset sort of evolved from. Cause my, my parents grew up in that, that exile mentality, right? Like we've had to start over. We're poor. You know, we don't, we don't have anything. Just go to school, get a job, you know, do what's, what's steady and what, what is predictable. Uh, because, you know, at any minute something can, you know, can happen and you could lose everything. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we used to like put up like my, my grandparents had, when we were growing up were already like middle class. We weren't poor anymore, but they were still like hang up the paper towel. If you dry, wash your hands and dry your hands with the paper towel and they would hang them up to dry so wow. we could reuse them. And that till this day, like every time I use a paper towel in my house and I go to throw it away, I get a little bit of guilt because I remember, like I'm thinking, should I hang this up or should I reuse it? Or like I'll wash my hands, dry my hands with a paper towel and I'll like wipe down the the counter with it so that I don't waste it, you know, so I double use it. That sort of stuff like really sticks to you uh, throughout the years and through the generations. So, and that, that I think leads to the fear mentality that drives our sense entrepreneurs to do, you know, do what we need to do. Yeah, it's interesting. You have entrepreneurial roots though. Right. Like you, your your DNA almost is conditioned that way. This 29-year-old great, great, great grandfather or whatever who moves to Spain yeah. and literally is doing what you're doing now. So <laughs> you know, to an extent, right? Real estate uh uh investing, maybe he was developing, like you said, more, but it's interesting that you know, generations apart, you're kind of in the same place here and how actually it's a good lesson in how timeless the idea of real estate investing is. That's why so many guys in Gobunas are in real estate because it's just it, I don't know a better investment long term. All right. Yeah, T- timelessness too. I mean. The building he built, my grand, my great grandfather still stands in Barcelona. Like I still, right. every time I go to Spain, I it's see like a high rise. It's a high rise building, and of course, classic Spaniard. He puts his initials on the on the iron gate where you open the building. So if you look at the, if you go to the building, it still says JR Jose Rovira. On what's the, the name of the building? Do you know the name of the building? Uh, I, I gotta look up the address. I'll send it to you later. I know the cross street. I just have to find it on Google Maps. That's cool. I but gotta see that, that. building's yeah. still there, hundred years later. So. You know? Yeah. Amazing. That's all. Yeah. Legacy, right? There's the legacy. You can go there and always know, who, uh, you know, who, who, uh, who created that. That's amazing, man. Amazing. Take me back to today. And, um, I want to talk about, about the company that you have and how you're structuring it. And I want to talk about what you're, what you're planning to do next. So let's start with your management company. You mentioned about DIY, you in it, that kind of thing. What does it look like? You're at the head of it. What's your team look like? Give me kind of an overview of that. If you don't mind, I'm kind of curious about yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're a pretty small team. One, I have a, a VA, like a virtual assistant that answers the phone. That was the first thing I had to get off my plate because the mm-hmm. phone was just ringing nonstop. Where's More your VA? Than, Where are they? He's in, he's in Nicaragua. He's a Nicaragua. Okay. Yep. Totally virtual. Um, Finally got the phone off my plate because the more you the more units you get, the more phones to ring, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's that's off my plate. Then um, we then in Kansas, then my wife and I run kind of the back office. She's the COO, so she runs kind of all the accounting and all the like the administrative stuff. Um, and then I'm in charge of growing the business and finding deals for the syndication uh, side. And then we have two employees in Kansas City that uh, that float around to our different buildings. Uh, to that they're basically property managers. And, you know, they deal with the tenants and they deal with the, main, the maintenance issues and calling the contractors and that sort of stuff. And then we, we kind of oversee all of it, uh, but they, they manage that. And then my partner, Alfredo, he's, he lives in Kansas City, so he's there 
Uh, he's kind of our boots on the ground. And then we have a third partner. His name is Jake. We brought him on uh, later so that he can help us with leasing because we found out very quickly that leasing, like we were buying office buildings during a pandemic when everybody was working from home. So like leasing became a very difficult task. So we brought on a third partner, Jake, to, to help us uh, with that. He's a commercial broker here in Miami. So he's done leasing for years and years and years. So Alfredo and Jake kind of tag team it on, on leasing. And, um, and then I handle all the, the kind of back office. My wife and I handle all the back office for the, the property management, all the accounting and all the, the maintenance issues and that sort of stuff. When did your wife quit her job? Last year, man. Oh, just recently. Yeah. yeah. She was working at a nonprofit that she started. She founded oh. it and uh, they grew it to like 20 employees, something like that. And then it just became so much work for her. And, you know, it, it, it became evident, like our real estate was growing, our real estate business was growing so much that it just became evident that her time was better spent helping us grow our wealth. And yeah. so she stepped away from the nonprofit that she started. I guess you can't really sell it, right? There's nothing you could do other than step no, away from it. Yeah. There's no owners in a in a nonprofit, yeah. right? Yeah. So and then basically you're subject to a a board of directors that you appointed and then now they govern you. So it's kind of like this weird dynamic. That's cool. Uh and it's very easy to sort of lose control of a of a nonprofit. So um not that she lost She's, control, but it just became just so much work and and you know not really worth her, her time anymore. So she's a giving she soul. No wonder my wife liked her. They met at the, well, you were there too. They met at the wives event. Yeah. Uh, that's why yeah, I texted yeah. you they like, you know, keep, keep that hair away from stay my wife. Stay away from my the, wife. The yeah. sexy hair, stay away from my <laughs> wife. But they were the only, my wife, we actually, it's funny. We mentioned today, cause I mentioned I'm going to be recording with you. And she's like, oh yeah, we were the only two Latinas at the, uh, at the go wives event. Yeah. So hopeful, hopeful to expand that over time, obviously. But um, that makes sense. That makes sense. Tell me about working with your wife for a moment, if you don't mind, because that's that's interesting to me. We don't work together. My wife is more more stay at home. She has kind of her projects that she does, but you're working side by side. I know a lot of people uh, think about like, could I, couldn't I? But what are some things that you've done, uh, you know, intentionally, unintentionally that, that have just happened to maybe protect the relationship from the working relationship, if anything at all? Um, I don't think we've really done anything active to or intentional to protect it. We don't we don't really fight that much. Most of our fights are probably work related now that I think about it when we like disagree on stuff, but it's not like where we end up hating each other and holding grudges. It just, you know, the fight passes and we move on. Yeah. Uh, she's very, very like smart. She, I mean, she was like straight A student. She's, she's very good at like doing tasks and managing like large amounts of workloads. So I tend to dump a lot on her, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's, you know, she's good. I, I don't, I don't have any complaints. I mean, I, I prefer her over an employee because I trust her 100%. So it's not like there's any, like I doubt that she's going to screw me over or do no, something but is like there, our interests is, are aligned 100%. So is there a hierarchical thing there? Any issue that like, it sounds like, you know, you're sort of running it she's running it with you, but maybe from a structural perspective, a step down in decision-making, she's more COO, your CEO, I'm wondering how that dynamic works. Like, well, you know, I want her to make all the decisions. That's the problem. And then she <laughs> she throws stuff back at me, and I'm like, no, that's yours, right? Gotcha. That's yeah. that's probably where most of our of our fighting occurs. Is she wants me to like she kicks something back at me, and I'm like, no, no, that's you. Go, go, do it. You make the decision. No, I'm not accountable for that. No, no, no. Um, there's no like hierarchical issues because I I'm trying to get out of the day to day as much as possible. So it's my it's in my best interest to let her run as much as she can because. 
the more time I spend in the business is less time I spend finding deals. And the only way we're going to grow the business is by finding more deals and buying more, more properties. Um, and we're, you know, she understands that. So yeah, yeah she's the boss. Sense. She's, she's the, boss. the boss. She's the CEO and the CEO. I'm nothing. You're just, you're just there. I just show up to work. You're just, <laughs> yeah. you're just there. I like it. What is the, um, what's sort of the next level? So you've got this property man, or I'm sorry, you've got this uh, portfolio in, Kansas City, you're doing some third party. It sounds like a little under 100 units, maybe local to you in Southern Florida, Miami. What do you? What do you? What's the plans? Are you expanding management? Are you looking to acquire more? Are you going to sell KC and go to another market? Kind of curious what you're what you're seeing as we, especially as we talk. We're going into this. We're anticipating tomorrow's July 1st, hearing shortly after about an actual recession by definition, yeah. and you know a downturn. Interest rates are going to go up. Kind of curious what's next for you. Are you are you all in? Hard charging forward? Pause? Change markets? Anything like that? Definitely not changing markets anytime soon, uh, just because we're established there already. I have my partner, I have my employees. Um, we want to keep buying Kansas City. We think there's a lot of potential in that market. Yes, there's probably a downturn um, that shouldn't prevent us from buying deals. That makes sense. You know, if if a deal makes sense and we can carry it, the real power of real estate is is you know is seen or realized in the long term. The longer you hold, um, so we're buying with you know, 10 to 20 years, you know, time horizon, not the next couple of years of recession. So if we can buy it today and make it work and we control the management, so we have a direct impact on how the performance of the property is, and we're good at it. um, We're pretty confident that even in a downturn and in a recessionary environment, we can, we can make it work. Now that rising interest rates have put a little bit of a damper on some deals because we we were working on a couple of deals and then the interest rates went up and we had to cancel the deals because they just didn't pencil out anymore. But had the had they penciled out or they still penciled out, we probably would have moved moved forward. So you know you just gotta kind of tighten up your underwriting a little bit more when it comes to acquisitions during times like this. And um just know that you know if you get into a property you can carry it and, and hold on to it. Uh, that's what's next for us. I would say it's more acquiring more commercial properties and building up that portfolio. Turning it around, we're value-add investors. So we buy stuff that's, you know, severely under undermanaged and underutilized, and we fix them up and we raise the rents and we put real management in place and make them perform. So in theory, we could buy something like that in any market, and in a and in a recessionary market, we'll probably see more of those types of deals. Yeah. So we're we're you know we're excited, and that's that's what's next. Um, I don't actively grow the property management business, uh, the third-party management. I, I just kind of take it as it comes. So if if you know, new clients come at me or new properties come at me that make sense for us to take on, we will. Uh, but really the focus is on acquiring, right? Yeah. Acquiring and then that feeds the property management business organically. So makes sense. You've been in GoBundance, I'm gonna guess what, a year and a half, two years? How long have you been in GoBundance? Yeah, I joined in 2020. It was the okay. at the end. I think it was October of 2020. Okay. So, so you're coming up on two years at this point. Yeah. Which is great. Tell me about that. What you know. What's GoBundance been for you? I mean, this is Tribe of Millionaires, right? It's the name of the podcast. So I like to talk about that tribe aspect. Like, what do you value? What do you get value out of being around, you know, this particular community or these guys? Yeah, there's that saying, I forget who said it, though. You're the average of the five people you hang out with. Yeah. Uh, what's that that is, uh, Think and Grow Rich. What's his name? Uh, Napoleon Hill, I think. Napoleon Hill. Guy. Yeah. That, so that it's so true. I mean, during COVID, we were basically all told to stay home and do nothing and talk to nobody. Right. Yeah. And I'm a natural introvert. So I heard that and I was like, Whoa, I get to stay home and not see people. He did. 
I'm in, you know? <laughs> so I spent like the first month, you know, just hanging out and in the pool. Uh, and then we left to the Bahamas for three months. So we left for what we thought was going to be two weeks. And then wow. we just stayed there because COVID no, just kept getting worse. So we're like, let's just stay no three months. And you'd think that three months in the Bahamas would be like this amazing experience. It was hands down, probably one of the most depressing times of my life. Because, because of COVID? It, because it was just three months of doing nothing, right? Oh, like oh, oh, oh. as an entrepreneur, you can't st- sit still for more than like five seconds. So three months of like just no growth, no nothing, nothing new. I, I came back from that just like hungry for to see people, to like do stuff. And I was still surrounded by people who were staying home and doing nothing, right? Like, so I needed like that, that tribe that that group of people who were actually doing stuff and being active to to help me like push forward so i joined abundance and man you know my business has has grown so much since then i mean i was at like 16 units or six 17 <laughs> houses in 2020 and now i'm i'm at about 200 under management 100 and whatever you know owned so i mean since i joined abundance that has happened what do you attribute that to? I'm curious because I, I talk to a lot of people that are interested in abundance or whatever. And I say the same thing, like, man, my, my portfolio has grown. My net worth has grown. Not as maybe as much as I want in some instances, but I planted a ton of seeds that's going to build a ton of wealth for me in the future. My I quit my job, like all these things, but I can't necessarily give you like, you know, okay, you join this group of people, whoever it is, go abundance or anything. Like, was there, are there specific things that happened that led to this portfolio or was it more of a I'm just thinking yes. bigger sort of thing. I'm curious. Yes. Okay. As entrepreneurs, we all have like this quality in our brains. It's the entrepreneur quality and it's very rare and the rest of the world doesn't have it. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're operating within this world where That's you're funny. doing things and you're doing things that are out of the ordinary and you're doing things and you're taking risks, but nobody else is doing it. So you're the weirdo, right? You're the one that's going against the grain and you're the one that's doing something wrong because the rest of us are doing this, right? So it's very easy to start questioning that and and create these limiting beliefs. But when you start surrounding yourself with people like the guys in GoBundance and you're seeing that those guys are doing the same thing that you're doing, you re- it normalizes things, right? And you realize, oh my God, okay. So what I've been doing for the past nine years is awesome. It's not a weird thing. It's not, you know, it's not the wrong thing. So then all that does is accelerate your hunger for more of that, right? And then yeah. you start achieving more because you're seeing other guys that are doing the same things as you and other guys that are doing a lot better things and bigger things and guys that are younger than you that are way ahead of you. And you see that guy, you're like, hey, I can do it. If that guy can do it, I can do it. It just empowers you and it just awakens more and more of that entrepreneur quality that you have in you that was lying dormant in a mediocre in a mediocre world, right? So yeah, I think that's the only thing I can really- I love it, man. Say. No, it's, it's intangible, right? It's just you're around people who are doing stuff and it empowers you to do more stuff. It's like anything, so, right? You go to the gym with people that work out hard, you're going to work out harder, right? Then if you just go to the gym right. by yourself or with a bunch of people that are just there to socialize, right? There's just a, it's it's the, it, yeah, I like that. It's intangible. It's not something you yeah. can calculate like, oh, well, you know, this meeting equals $73,246 of, of content that I got from this person or whatever. It's, it's, I like what you said, normalizing, you know, let me ask you this. What, how do you define entrepreneur? Like, what is your entrepreneur uh, uh, intangible or quality? Because I think there's so many different ways to describe and define the thing that we have in us, that thing you described. Do you have a word or a phrase or a way to define like, what is it about you that is an entrepreneur? Does that, if that makes sense? 
Yeah, that's a great question, man. I mean, I'm the type of guy that if you tell me I can't do something, it just makes me want to do it even more. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if I get an idea in my head that, you know, I, that in my gut feels like the right thing to do. And then somebody's like, Oh no, but you can't, oh, but you can't do that. Then yeah. I start questioning it, but why not? What do you mean? This Right. Um, I think entrepreneurs tend to go against the grain a lot. Like they, you have to, right. Cause if you don't, then you stay the same. And then when you stay the same, there's no innovation and there's no innovation without entrepreneurs. So that sort of rebel mentality that I, that I get sometimes really pushes me hard. So like when I got the, the idea to buy real estate, it was 2008 and everybody who was anybody who was buying real estate at that point was a loser, right? Everybody, <laughs> you know, the, the real estate market had crashed. So I would go around telling people, hey, I want to buy a duplex. And they'd be like, no, but real estate, that's a, you know, that's a terrible investment. What are you doing? Everybody who buys real estate, right? And that just made me want it more and more and more, right? And that kind of builds your, your, uh, your desire for it. I don't know. I can't really answer the question. That's a great it's answer, just like man. a drive. It's a drive to be better. It's a drive to, to go against what's normal because it doesn't feel right to stay that way. I don't know. It's funny. That. Well, no, I, I so I've struggled with this. Like you're a years long entrepreneur, right? You've been an entrepreneur for a long time. I'm a more recent entrepreneur, and there are guys you know that are just like that's all they've ever been. Like from the age of two, they're like flipping cards or whatever. They've always had this sort of entrepreneurial uh, instinct, if you will. So for me, going into this world after a long career, the question for me is like, am I really an entrepreneur? Like, do I belong? Do I? How can? What is it that allows me to be an entrepreneur? Like, I, you know, entrepreneurs I see is these like, you know, hyper-driven, super smart. I'm not any of those things or, or whatever, right? You tell yourself the story. But the thing that I've come to grips with for me, and again, I've said this before, I think it's my acting definition of, uh, of what, what makes me an entrepreneur, the desire to be an entrepreneur, or why I've made the step into being an entrepreneur, is what you just said. It's the word defiance. It's defiance. Like the fact that it's everything is going this way, but I just have... Not like a, a, I don't pout about the fact that, oh, they're all doing that. I want to do it different, but actually doing something about it, that defiant attitude. And I'll tell you this quick story. I was hanging, <laughs> I was hanging out with one of the, I'll just say a guy with extremely high net worth and two other guys. And we were having a drink and this was early pandemic when the, um, when the vaccine first came out, like first came out and the two guys at that point were vaccinated. Me and this high net worth guy were not. And they were like, well, why, why aren't you vaccinated at that point? Right. And I, we were both looking at each other and say like, because everybody's telling me I need to, <laughs> like, that's why right now I'm not vaccinated. No, no other reason people listening, they might be rolling their eyes about vaccines. I know it's a hot topic, but the point was simply take vaccine, take anything. Um, you all should go get a job, right? Like everyone else is telling me I need to. So that's why I'm not at that point. Right. Like it was just. It's that defiant attitude and then acting on that defiance, I think, that makes the entrepreneur. I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but that's kind of what I heard you say. It's true. And nobody questions it, right? Like yeah. the vaccine is one thing, you know, whenever there's like masses of people doing one thing, has anybody stopped to really question the thing or analyze yeah. it or understand it? Um, and I think that's what entrepreneurs do, though. They, they, they kind of do that double step and they're like, wait a minute. Okay. Let's think about this first. That doesn't make any sense. Okay. I'm going to do this instead. And then that's when, you know, it leads to whatever it is you're doing as an entrepreneur. So no, it's the doors cool. at like the MGM. Have you ever gone to like the MGM in Vegas? There's like 50 doors, but everyone's going to one. And I would always go to one. But when I started to notice that I'm like, nah, why was I'd go to another door and one of two things happens either for some reason, herd mentality, just led them to one door. And there are a whole bunch of other open yeah. doors you can go through or 
these other doors are locked. But I discovered that because I went and tried, right? And then I, I, I okay, I, now I see why everyone's going to that door. I, I have to go there. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And it's sort of that mentality a bit. Or when you're driving and there's like one lane that's like not moving and then every other lane is moving and nobody yeah. moves out of the, the lane that's not moving or like you're stopped at a stoplight and a stoplight and two lanes are completely empty and, and then there's just one lane where every car is going and nobody goes into the empty. It's typical. That's the herd yeah. mentality. 100%. 100%. Ah, this is interesting, man. All right. Let's uh, let's do this. We're we're coming up on time. So I'm going to I'm going to. Stay away from the one sheet. I think we talked about that in the beginning. Like, do we go with the one sheet? I'm like, man, if we have time, I, you know, a lot of guys coming on now, especially as the podcast has grown, we've got a you know a ton of listeners. You know, there's some reluctance in throwing numbers out there. Some people have reached out, like, hey, are you still doing the one sheet? Uh, I, I haven't heard it recently. And for those wondering, that's why it's you know it's a lot of private information to share on a large podcast at the beginning. This was like 200 people heard it, and they were all abundance people. <laughs> now it's you know thousands of people listening every week. So. Uh, we've steered clear of that, but I'm going to ask you a question from the GoBundance card game. I like this one. It's it's sort of sort of woo woo. Oh if great! Could, All right, if Let's you, hear it. <laughs> but you're up for it. You're up. Yeah. For it. If you could send a message to the entire world, what would you say in 30 seconds? What, Jamie? There's so many. This is the be- this is the most assholeic question I think I've ever asked of anybody. So I reserve. I've never seen this one come up before. It's on this old. I have app no answer to that question. <laughs> Ask it again. Let me let me hear it again. If you could send, a, you don't have to do it in thirty seconds. But if you could send a message to the entire world, what would your message say? Tim Ferriss does something like this. Like if you got a billboard, what would you put on it? Like that sort of thing. What would your message be to the world in <laughs> thirty probably, seconds? Probably probably be something regarding you know loving one another love your neighbor as yourself i think that's the best advice anyone has ever given that was jesus christ himself <laughs> we're t- living in a time where everybody hates on everybody right there's so much yeah. polarization and everybody's against everybody and roe versus wade and you're a gay pro-life and pro this and you're gay and you're not gay and mm-hmm. you know we've forgotten to love each other understand each other and just live with one another in harmony you know that it's so much better that way than to all hate each other so why are we all hating on each other like let's remember why we're here which is to live and love life and be happy and forget about all that bullshit. Uh, so it would be something around that, that, That's you know, great, loving man. your neighbor. Look, Ray Dalio, if you follow him at all, he lists out factors for the empire, the U S empire to convert over to China. And one of them is polarization. Like if, if the United States is to turn this around, one of three things he talks yeah. about is you know, getting away from this polarized uh, society where we're pitting each other against each other. So hopefully Hopefully our kids, I have this belief, like I look at, you know, the mix uh, of of races and everything else in the next generation, especially where it just doesn't seem, I don't know, maybe every generation has said this, but I feel like we're getting more and more diverse. It's just a matter of, can we hear each other's opinions? And that's going to be, you know. Yeah, but but it's up to us to teach our kids to be that way, right? If we teach them to be assholes, they're going to be assholes. But if we teach them to love everybody, they're going to love everybody, right? And it starts with us. They're not going to learn it on their own. And if we're polarized and we're all hating on each other, they're just going to mimic us because kids just mirror everything that we do. So amazing, man. All right, Carlos, where can people learn more about you, uh, your company, whatever you want to, wherever you want to direct them? Uh, yeah. I mean, find me on Instagram. Uh, the handle is the Carlos Rivera. R-O-V-I-R-A. Yep. And I had to put the word the before because somebody else out there named Carlos Rivera stole my name. Me too. So Yeah. Find me there. Uh, there you can find links to all my companies, Rovira Realty, RG Capital Partners, which is the syndication business. You can DM me and I'll I'll respond. I usually do. Love it, man. Uh, that's pretty De- much it. You in Detroit or Dallas? Either or? 
No, man. There's so many, so many conferences this year. Yeah. I went to Park City, yeah. and then I actually signed up for the Croatia trip. So I had to oh. basically sell like my right arm to afford that trip. <laughs> so that that sort of that sort of like put me out on, on this year on abundance trips. Uh, no, it's a great yeah. trip though. I've never done the international. I, I have to do that at some point. That's awesome, man. Good for you. Yeah, yeah. It should be fun. Should be fun. Good stuff. Well, great connecting with you as always. And uh, yeah, it was uh, this is a lot of fun. Thanks for being on, brother. Yeah, man. See you later. Have a good one. Well, that's it for this episode, but be sure you subscribe for future episodes. Give us a rating and review as well. It just helps us grow the podcast, grow the reach, and give as much value as we can to you on a week-to-week basis. Be sure to go over and check out GoBundance.com while you're at it. Check out Emerge if you're a future millionaire, our elite division if you're in that $1 to $5 million range, or our champion division at $5 million plus. Or on the women's side, GoBundance Women is available for all of you to join an amazing group of millionaire entrepreneurial women. And if you haven't already, jump on tribeofmillionaires.com and order the book that is the namesake of this podcast. And you'll learn all about what this whole GoBundance thing is, what masterminds are about, and the power of community, accountability, connection, and all of that as you pursue your goals. Thanks for listening again. We'll talk to you soon. 